This is the Shift Podcast. Coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast, should Canada boycott the Olympic Games in Beijing next year? China expert Margaret McQuaig Johnson joins the Shift to tell us why she thinks Canada will join the U.S. in a diplomatic boycott of the Games. We dig into how this could impact China's reputation and diplomatic strategy. Why does Canada have a reserve of maple syrup? Helene Normandin with the Quebec Maple Syrup Producers Association tells us why the reserve was tapped into recently, how it works, and what makes Canadian maple syrup so special. And Handy Andy is back on how to take care of a clogged sink without Drano. This is the Shift Podcast. Shane's off this week. He will be back next week. And there has been a very cool, very Canadian story floating around for a little while, a few days now that we wanted to do a deep dive in. And this is so funny to me because everyone that we have talked to about this, people in studio, uh, people in our personal lives all across the map, people are just taken by this story about Canadian maple syrup. This story has made global headlines that... Here in Canada, we have a strategic maple syrup reserve that rivals OPEC's oil reserves. OPEC, the people who make sure that the world has enough oil. We have a system to preserve maple syrup in our country that essentially does the same thing. It's it's mind-boggling to hear about. And because of the pandemic and a whole bunch of reasons and, you know, just the way that the world is – We're going through a maple syrup shortage, but not to worry because the Canadian Strategic Maple Syrup Reserve has dipped into their reserve and secretly unlocked millions of barrels of maple syrup. It's just such a crazy story to think about, and it's so Canadian. So uh, here now to tell us more and to help us understand what the Canadian Maple Syrup Reserve even is from the Quebec uh, Maple Syrup Producers Organization is Helene Normandin. Thank you so much for joining us, Helene. It just feels like everywhere you turn in all the media, everyone is talking about maple syrup. It's just crazy. I got the press, the, the, the report about all the coverage we had in the last two weeks. And it's amazing. Wow. And it's it wasn't planned at all. Eh? It's just one a, a journalist from Bloomberg called me uh, after a maternity leave just to know what was going on with maple syrup. And then it started and I had maybe 40 interviews wow. uh, it's, it's just but it's okay we're glad to have the the opportunity to talk about uh, this uh, amazing reserve of maple syrup the unique yeah. reserve in the world yeah. absolutely and i think that that's probably the thing that is so interesting about it and just feels <laughs> so very canadian is that we have this yes this it's reserve. in our veins yeah absolutely sure. so i guess my first question is what what do you think i mean we tapped into the reserve so you guys opened up the reserve and served up almost half or correct me if I, it's more than half right of the reserve well because there was we a shortage. figure that it will be more than half at the end of the next uh of the year before the next season begins okay because it, we will have maple syrup next year again right so yeah what do you think caused the shortage i mean did did the world just discover how great our syrup is 
Like there's well, this boom. Everybody wants maple syrup all of a sudden. Yeah, I would say the reserve plays a highly strategic role in stock management because uh, uh, sales and exportations are increasing. And in contrary to the last two record seasons in terms of uh, maple syrup produ production, in that was we we beat record in 219 and 220 and this year in 221 the, the 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 production was in the average it was not that bad but it was not as good as the the, the two past years before and uh, we're Quebec produces 72% of all the maple syrup in the world which is incredible. and there's only in north northeast of america where we can produce uh, maple syrup because we have maple trees so they produce maple syrup in the united states and also in ontario and in the maritimes but Quebec, uh, it's really, it's really in our culture. Culture, as you said, it's uh, everybody here has a story of a sugar bush. We all go mm -hmm. to the, the 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 cabane suc in the in spring, so we love it. But it's more than just Quebec who increased the the sales because the exports, the, ex, the exportations uh, increase of uh, twenty one. One percent in the last uh, in the last eighteen months since Which the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. And I didn't realize this until I started doing some digging. Talk to us about like how specific the conditions need to be in order mm -hmm. for us to even make maple syrup. It's exactly we need a very specific temperature during the spring, where in the night it it's we need freezing freezing in, during the night and unfreezing during the day and as long as we has we have it we can produce maple syrup and normally it's for we have this weather for about uh, 10 to 12 weeks and what happened last spring it was very cold here till the the middle of march and then suddenly it started everywhere in the different regions. And, and after that, after a few weeks only, it stopped because the, of the, the weather became too hot. Okay. So that's why the season was not very long. I see. So let's talk a little bit about the actual reserve because I, I want to make sure that people understand here. There's, there's literally uh, warehouses filled with barrels of yes. Canadian maple syrup. So if, you know, heaven forbid, uh, there's an earthquake or, um, you know, an asteroid hits or we get invaded by aliens, we will have the maple we syrup. We won't miss maple syrup for sure. But, so but... what is it like going into one of these warehouses and you're just literally surrounded by barrels upon barrels of, you know, liquid gold? Yes, and annual production of maple syrup is highly dependent on weather, weather conditions. And when mother, nat mother nature is generous, production can sometimes exceed demand and leaving the industry stuck with surpluses. So in these years, we stock. Okay. And this year we take off, but we take off 
every year a little bit. It's not new that we have to dig in the, the reserve, but we do more this year. And as you said, it's it's a huge warehouse. Well, in fact, there's more than there are more than just one, and it's full of white barrels. And when the maple syrup arrive at this place, we pasteurize the maple syrup and we put put it in uh, sterilized barrels okay. and these barrels are, are sealed so we can preserve because of the beauty of this product it's not just good it's good it's but it also we can keep it for many years yeah which is so, fantastic yeah, and yeah now i'm very taken by this story and i hope you can speak to this uh that there I mean, people want it so badly and it's so good and so valuable that there was actually like, it sounds like a very orchestrated break-in and robbery of the reserve. In 2012, you mean, eh? yeah, you're yeah. talking about this start, this incredible story. You're, I cannot say a lot about it because I wasn't working for the, the organization. I knew it, I knew it's, it, it fascinated the, specifically the American media yeah, absolutely. in the United States. Uh, they all, they often talk about it, but I cannot tell that much because like I said, I wasn't there. So sure. maybe you, you know, you know more <laughs> sure. than me, but I know even Netflix made a story about it. Yeah. Even, I guess even just the idea that people would, would do something like that. Yes. It, I guess it just speaks to, well, first how great the syrup that we have is and how valuable it is that the rest of the world wants it. So it's just a really cool thing. I've been looking at you know, this photo that you sent along of the inside of the warehouse. And it's just such a cool thing. You know, I think we're so used to seeing, and you know, how syrup. they, they, they made it. Huh? And during the night, they get in to the, uh, the, the warehouse and they take off the maple syrup of take off of the barrels mm-hmm. and full, full in with water. So it took a while before right. they, they realized what, happened it's so crazy what's it like when you go to the to the warehouse is there security now is there you know well, do you get to go there on the regular well we have to respect uh, basic uh, the, 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 the security when when we go there but uh, it's it's a big big warehouse and it's it, it's quite ordinary yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and it's uh it's about two hour drive from montreal between montreal and quebec city okay Uh, it's huge Uh, the 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 main warehouse uh, is the equivalent of five football fields football american footballs from the united states not canadian one (laughs) i had this question question last week canadian football uh, i had to check because i'm not a football fan sure (laughs) So I guess uh, now, like we have this, why do you think Canadians are so passionate about our maple syrup? Well, I think it's because it's unique. Mm -hmm. We have it uh, for so long here, especially especially in Quebec. Uh, Certainly, it's very good. It's uh, and but it's more than this. It's it's. It's, it, repre- it represents spring. It, it comes with spring and the, 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 the light and the end of the winter. So there is a lot to, to, right. 
Yeah. yeah. There's just something very Canadian about, you know, going to yes. a maple syrup farm. Yeah. And as a Canadian, you know, those of us who live in this great country, uh, I think that sometimes we maybe even take it for granted the way the, West, yes, the, way the right. rest of the world sees how good our syrup is. I know in my life, once we started buying real Canadian maple syrup, there was no other option. All of the mm-hmm, other sort right. of like grocery you're... store brand, it was just like, this stuff is not good enough anymore. And I feel like as more and more people start to discover how good real Canadian maple syrup is, they experience that same thing. So is that sort of working for, you know, the maple syrup company, is that kind of the thing for you? You only like the best of the best, the Canadian maple syrup, or do you feel like maybe we're a bit spoiled because we get to have the best of the best all the time? Oh, I'm, I think maples, we have, if we eat something, if we eat maple syrup, it has to be pure maple syrup of course there's nothing else and also i think it's like magical when we start to to um, to tell us, uh, our story it's just like it, it's like magical it comes right. from tree and it's it's in, in winter and there's this purity to it yes right? i that... think that's it and it's outside it's the end of the winter we love it and and we love it for uh, for ourselves but when we tell the story i think people can imagine whatever they want about uh, this cold uh, yeah. country so far in the north <laughs> it, it really is beautiful like you say how it comes from a tree it takes time the conditions have to be so perfect mm-hmm, it really mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing and it's kind of for that reason i have a five-year-old daughter and my wife makes fantastic pancakes and so okay. my my daughter will take the real Canadian maple syrup that we only use now. And she pours so much of it on her pancakes. And I'm like, you're wasting Drink it. it. You're wasting it. You know, you're wasting it. You don't understand how special this is. So do you, do you feel like that, that sometimes when you see people waste the maple syrup or maybe, maybe tell me this, Helene, uh, what, what is your favorite thing to put maple syrup on? I, well, I like it pure on winters on snow. Okay. We, like, we yep. call it sir. Uh, I don't know taffy. It's kind yes. of taffy. We we turn it around a little stick and we just eat it like this. With and it's cold because it wasn't the snow. Right. That's my favorite. And also there's a product we we trans we transform the maple syrup in uh, sugar. So it's it's called bar d'érable. Okay. And uh, maple butter and it's just on on fresh bread. It's better wow. than any, but I also like to use maple syrup in my uh, um, in my recipes, like in dressing for okay. a salad and really? marinade. Oh yes, okay. It's a kind of sweet, just a little sweet. That is that. See, I feel like I feel like there's different. so much for us to learn here, you know, because sort of our go to is like pancakes and waffles and and breakfast foods and stuff. But there really is this. Um, sort of rule, I think, in most houses around the maple syrup, right? Where it's like, yeah, you, ha- you we have, have to use the best. You can only use you it this way. You have to have it all, all the time in your in your fridge. That's for sure. But I 
also what I could say is that we work with food ambassadors around the world just to adapt our the, the, the use of maple syrup because they don't have all they don't ha have all snow to 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 eat taffy right 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 so that is really interesting to me so people around the world understand that we have this fantastic maple syrup and then we have to bring in food ambassadors just to essentially educate the rest of the world on how the proper way to consume it yeah like It's it's like more <laughs> prestigious than the finest wine. I love yeah. it. I it's, love it's it. It's a bit like this. It's from like wine is from the the vines and uh, maple syrup is from the maple trees and also maple tree uh, trees during the, the the fall season are just fabulous because of all the colors and the so leaves are-, are huge. The leaves get. I've seen the leaves yeah. getting even as a Canadian. It's mind blowing to see. And the way that you put it, that it's it it really is. It's magical. It's from the earth. It's so Canadian. So you're telling us we don't need to worry about maple syrup. We're always going to have enough. Yes, and we hope we'll have a very nice uh, production next year. That's what we we are hoping, and nobody can say because we work with nature even the best producer here in Quebec will not be able to tell you what kind of spring uh, season we'll have next in 2022 right. so we And uh, we had uh, we took the decision to uh, add some taps. So uh, there there are about 50 million taps in in all the entire Quebec, and we we'll, we will add seven uh, million more in the next years just okay. to be to produce more because the the, it, the the demand increases. Yeah, it really is an exact science, and it feels like you guys have it just. <laughs> perfectly figured out how to keep the train rolling so we always have enough and i'm really yes. glad we do because like i said it's liquid gold last question yes. waffles french toast or pancakes mm, each of each of it one sunday is one thing the other i love it <laughs> sunday and each one as long as it's got the syrup on it right yes that's it This is the Shift Podcast. Margaret McQuaig Johnston. She's a senior fellow, graduate school of public and international affairs at University of Ottawa, an advisory board member for the Canada China Forum and a board member for the Canada International Council. And wow, Margaret, it sounds like you do a lot. <laughs> well, it keeps me busy. Good. So I, I, I'm hoping that you can help us get our head around everything that's going on with China, because China, it feels like there's been news every day of, you know, tennis and Olympics and now United States diplomats. So we got the news today that President Biden in the United States is not going to send U.S. diplomats to the Beijing Olympics. That's right. That's called a diplomatic boycott. Um, There have in the past been full boycotts where nobody from the country went. And this is a much, much more scaled back version. And basically, he's designing it to send a message to China and uh, Xi Jinping that the United States does not condone 
the genocide of the Uyghurs. These are uh, a group of people who live in the western part of China. Um, they call it East Turkestan and China calls it Xinjiang. And they, there's a genocide going on there where um, they want to water down that culture because they're concerned about potential for tour terrorism. Uh, these are Muslims and Han Chinese are, are not that familiar with that religion. And so they really are trying to diminish its influence in that region by taking the adults and putting them in re-education camps. Um, they, there's a lot of violence there. Many have been killed. And uh, those who haven't been, some go off after maybe a year of re-education by which they're training them in what's called Xi Jinping thought, the philosophy of, of the leader of China. Um, also uh, making sure they only learn Mandarin, that they're not speaking their own language, they're not allowed to um, follow their own religion. Um, they're encouraged to, or made to, to drink alcohol, which is not consistent with their faith. Mm -hmm. And so the, this, is, this is really tough. And those who graduate, so to speak, from these camps often go in for long prison terms because it's considered that their attitude isn't good. Hmm. So they could get 20 or 30 years in prison after the camps. Some of them are sent to forced labor in other parts of China. And because of one or two parents are away from the home, their children are sent to camps. They're sent to children's camps and very much like residential schools where they have to speak only Mandarin, not their own language, and uh, they can't practice their religion. Uh, again, they learn Xi Jinping thought. So uh, the United States is trying to send a message that what's going on there is wrong and also that the U.S. does not condone uh, the human rights violations in Hong Kong with a national security law there and a, a clamp down on democracy. Mm -hmm. So there are many dimensions to it, but those are the two key things. And the question is going to be, do other countries join them? And I think Canada will. Okay. We share the same values. And I think we'll be joined by the UK, European countries, and so this is all coming together this week because there's something called a summit for democracy that uh, Biden is leading. And it's bringing together all the democracies of the world, including Taiwan, which China sees as a, a way gone province. Right. Um, and putting, putting them all together for two days to talk about how to push back against authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. and how to defend human rights in the face of these abuses. So I'm uh, convinced that there will be many countries that sign on to this diplomatic boycott. So the United States are still going to send athletes. It's just the diplomats that won't be going. And my assumption is that if Canada and other countries follow suit, it would be the same. Is that going to put the athletes in any kind of danger? Or is there concern about, I mean, there must be concern about that. I don't think it will put the athletes themselves in danger. Uh, China can't afford a big um, embarrassment where something happens to one of our athletes. Hmm. So I think the athletes are just fine. It's the politicians, um, you know, presidents, prime ministers, ministers of sport who will not be able to go and 
probably their diplomats in Beijing at their embassies will not be able to attend. And I think that's appropriate. And in fact, I would extend it one step further. I would suggest to the athletes themselves, given basically a genocide going on in China uh, with the Uyghurs, that the athletes not attend the opening or closing ceremonies, because mm. that's where China gets to put on a big extravaganza for uh, the entertainment of the world. And China likes to come across looking wonderful and, and um, uh, you know, like a, a, a team player in the world. And so I don't think with the kind of uh, human rights violations China is uh, perpetrating right now, that it would be appropriate to attend the big parties at the beginning and the end of the Olympics. Mm -hmm. For sure, the athletes want to focus on their sport, and that's what they should do. And in fact, for the first couple of days of any Olympics, we find that those athletes who have their sports early uh, tend not to uh, go to the opening ceremonies because they want to rest up and be at their very top shape. Right. And I think that would just apply to all the athletes coming from Canada, certainly. What do you feel will be uh, China's response to this? Well, it's going to be interesting to see. They've all already said that they will be retaliating against the United States. Mm -hmm. It's tougher to re retaliate against, say, 20 or 30 or 40 countries. Right. Um, that's why I think it'll be important to see that this um, boycott um, gathers some steam this week. I certainly think that Canada will be among those signing on fairly quickly. Um, we know that the United States is our greatest ally, uh, certainly economically, as well as sharing our values. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think we'll see countries signing on. Um, but there may be some retaliation, maybe trade retaliation. We're used to this now right. from China, aren't we? Uh, Australia has faced it in even worse ways than Canada. They've had several uh, citizens uh, held hostage, still being held hostage. Um, and their uh, trade has really been slashed uh, with a dozen country, uh, a dozen products on the um, uh, no-go list uh, to China. Uh, their wine and, and many other products. Mm -hmm. It really does feel like the tension is ramping up. I feel like it's palpable. We seem to talk about it, it seems to be in the headlines all the time. What do you sort of see as the end result of this, or maybe not the end result, but the next step? Do you feel like there actually is a possibility that China does come in line uh, with the rest of the developed world, or do you feel like they continue to push back? What, what does the next, say, 12, 24 months look like for this sort of situation? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, how will it actually change the lives of the Uyghurs? And what I think will happen is we won't see anything official done as a change of direction. But what I think we'll, we'll see is less um, incarceration of, okay. of the Uyghurs, um, hopefully less forced labor. Um, there is a lot of forced labor in factories that have been built right next to these concentration camps, and there are many all over that region. In addition, um, Uyghurs are being sent in large groups, you know, thousands at a time to factories in other uh, parts of the country. And that's implicating companies like Nike 
and others where their products uh, are and suppliers of their products are implicated in using forced labor. The Canadian government has taken some measures uh, to try to block uh, products of forced labor coming into Canada. There's more that they could be doing. and uh, But I think we'll see it perhaps not in a complete shift of Chinese policy because they don't want to lose face and be seen to be admitting that what they were doing was offside the, the international community. But I think it will temper what they're doing now and what they might have otherwise done in the future. So you mentioned that they want, they would like to save face. And I understand that though. I completely agree with you that hopefully this, this does bring about some positive change. But as a person who's very sort of not familiar with uh, international law and policy and that type of thing, I look at a situation like this and I think to myself, like, does China think that we're like that we're stupid, that we don't know what's going on there, or do they just not care? Well, uh, they treat us sometimes as if we're stupid. So when the when the photos and the information and, and witness accounts of these camps first started coming out. For two years, China d- uh, denied that, they, that there were any camps at all. No such thing was happening. Mm-hmm. And then it just became too big to refute. And so they said, well, they're just re-education camps and nothing uh, harmful is happening there. But of course, more and more comes out. So, you know, the, they, they try to get away with it. But really, when we have really good uh, researchers, internationally renowned researchers who are able to get access to original Chinese documents that they can read in the original Chinese that document exactly what they're doing and the surveillance technology that they're using. Um, f- for example, iFlyTech, where um, Uyghurs are taken to the local police station and made to uh, register their voices in different modulations so the police will know exactly who's talking on telephone calls hmm. when they're listening to everybody's phone call. And iFlyTech has had tremendously deep university research relationships in Canada at York University and Queen's University. Right. So this is, you know, we have to start to look at our own home ground to make sure that we're not doing anything to make things worse uh, in China. Okay. And last question, and I don't know if this sort of puts a hopeful spin on things or not, but I see a headline like this, and it kind of made me feel a bit hopeful because of where we are now. And maybe you've seen this as well. Uh, Bloomberg had posted this. I saw this on Business Insider. Earlier in November, some people were making comparisons that China kind of looks now like Japan looked in the 80s. Have you have you heard that? Does that resonate with you at all? Uh, somewhat in terms of technology, but when you when you look at the behavior of the government and the aggression uh, with neighbors, for example, starting border wars with India and Bhutan and other other countries in the region, you know, militarizing the South China Sea. Japan never did any of that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think there, I think there's a huge difference okay. on the technology front, perhaps, but not, um, not uh, on all of these other more egregious behaviors. Maybe one final question for you, Margaret: Is there something that uh, Canadian citizens can do? Uh, you know, we feel passionate about issues like this, but often feel like our hands are tied. Just everyday citizens. Is there something we can do? Yeah, we can boycott the Olympics ourselves. We cannot watch and we can let advertisers know that we're not watching. 
And that will certainly galvanize them. And, and so I think, you know, collectively Canadians can do a lot. And, and there's a, 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 an effort afoot uh, by the Jewish community who know all about genocide and Holocaust mm -hmm. to try to mobilize this kind of action in Canada. Wow. Okay. Brilliant stuff. Uh, thank you so much for helping us try to understand and unpack. And obviously there's going to be a lot to, uh, to follow and digest over the coming days and weeks as well. Margaret McQuaig Johnson, Senior Fellow Graduate School of Public in and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa, Advisory Board Member, Canada-China Forum, and Board Member of the Canadian International Council. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Good to be with you, Scott. This is The Shift Podcast. And right now we are joined by Disco Andy. Oh, yeah. It's very fitting with the uh, new lights that you have in your studio, Andy. Yes, like unfortunately the, the listeners can't see it, but we're talking over Zoom right now. And I just retrofitted my studio with all of these like LED lights that are changing colors at the same time. So this it is so looks cool. Like a disco it really is, man. So do you like studio. have people over there after you guys have had a few drinks, you go into the studio and have a little dance party? Well, it's funny because I actually set up all these lights to be voice activated as well. So I can turn them on and on saying those voice commands, which I won't say right now because the lights, <laughs> it'll start listening, my smart speaker. But um, it's funny because I've noticed that these lights just having different color like lights. I know it's like during the holidays. Sure. But just having them on makes me feel better. It just like increases my mood, puts me in the mood. I feel like I'm in an arcade right yeah, now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I was uh, telling you last week that I'm working on building a little podcast studio in my garage and I'm hanging Christmas lights from the ceiling to try to give it that that vibe. It's all about the atmosphere. You know what, Scott? Right? I think I need to come over, okay? Because I love building studios. I don't know okay. if you can see this right now. But yes. Like, that's my niche, okay? Because I am like a handyman, but I was always the gearhead. I always like audio gear. My background is in audio production. Okay. I actually, I don't know if anybody knows this, but I am actually a, a recording artist. I have, I write radio jingles for, for radio shows. Oh, I no actually way. have one still to this day and I'm part of SoCan. So I have like, and it's always earworms. Like, you know, I'll have a little, little tune in my head and then I record it and it turns out to be something that's so catchy that so yeah yeah I, see it's, i feel i feel like i need to write my own intro for for these segments oh so hey i love fitting. that idea i love that idea but it's all about the it's like that side hustle thing right and that's kind of what we're trying to to make in our garage but i would love it if you came over and had a quick look at things because this is what i get from my wife every time she comes in and she sees what i've been working on and what i've been doing and stuff and she looks at it and she goes is that done Oh, that's like yeah. her line. That's like okay. her line, right? It's like implying that if it's if it's staying like that, that's not good enough. The okay, drywall no, okay, job, I'm, the flooring job, whatever you're doing. I hope Scott, it, I hope I'm not looking at a finished product here because it's not very good. I'm telling you right now, Scott. I'm coming over because I have something that you're definitely going to need. You know the, the the foam panels that that help yes, to diffuse yeah. the acoustic. Because the the big issue that you're going to have creating that studio is the echo. You got to reduce the echo. Right. Now, I used to have it back when I used to live with my parents. I built this little studio in the backyard. It was called the Sugar Shack. And, <laughs> and I lived there through all my 20s. I probably survived because I was always in right. the back 
in the studio. Your getaway and space. So I have. I have all of this acoustic foam that I don't really need anymore. It's oh, sitting really? in my attic. Oh, I yes. need so much of it. This is okay. This I is have great. Tiles. <laughs> this is this is awesome. We'll have to tell the listeners when I come over. I'll make a video too. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I'm totally into it. Okay, so let's dive into some of the stuff here. And I I want to come back to the to the home reno stuff because I have some questions about some things that I when you come over, we should actually plan a day because there's some things I could use your help with. But first, uh, I want to ask you, we talked, we all talked about this last week. Uh, Spotify wrapped. That was a thing that has been everywhere over the last week. What were, we all shared ours. What were your top songs? Do you have them offhand? Okay. So I have to give a disclaimer. I do something very rare that I don't think a lot of normal people do. I listen to the same playlist at the same time every single day. So when I wake up in the morning, I have, it's called the beast mode playlist. And that's what I use when I go running. Okay. And so before I go out the door, I start it. And then I know I have it one hour long. So I know exactly when I'm done working out. So my number one song was from the Street Fighter soundtrack, (laughs) Guile's Theme. It was Guile's Theme written by an artist called Mitch Murder. He did a rendition of it. It's better than the original. And every time I hear it, I have to run. Like, I just get so excited that I just go into beast mode. So, number one song is from 1992 (laughs) Street Fighter, Guile's Theme. The the Jean-Claude Van Damme one? That movie? No, no, no. Street Fighter, the video game. Oh, the video game. Okay, video game soundtracks are a thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you remember, all of the characters had their own kind of like music. Right. And this was Guile. It was just the background music of while you were the Guile's character. Okay. Um, but it was from Mitch Murder, and um, it's a Swedish producer. He remade it, and it I just love it. It makes me like a kid again, and it makes me run. So Very I, cool. I listen to it every morning. So, okay, now everybody posted their Spotify wrapped, right? Every person who's on Instagram or social media, Facebook, whatever, saw it. And then I saw a few people who were posting things like, guys, you know that – all of this is being used to accumulate data that Spotify is holding on to, right? Yes. This is a brilliant move by Spotify because they understand so much about us and our listening habits to the point that they can almost predict and recommend songs that we would like. And it actually works for us. But what they're doing is they're collecting our listening habits and then they'll package it into this nice Spotify wrap to show us, and we can't help ourselves. I don't know if it's like the narcissist in us that we can't help but share it and let everybody know what our number one song is. And what they're doing is making it okay to collect our data because they're making us share it for it to go viral for everything to be okay. They're not the only ones that that are doing this. YouTube Music is now taking Spotify's playlist and they're gonna do that every year and show you what your number one YouTube music is. Google does this with our locations. Google knows every time that you go to a different country, every city, every time you leave your house, Google knows that. And what they're starting to do is give you a summary report each month of how many places you visited. And what do people do? They start sharing that. Right. But the, the big issue, Scott, is that we're allowing them to collect all of this information yeah. about us and we're making it okay. Now, think about it. That tells a lot about who you are. If my number one song, Scott, if you asked me and I said, my number one song is Boys to Men, End of the Road. Uh-huh. You're gonna be like, there's something wrong. Andy might be depressed. Did he have a breakup? Sure. So, you know, it, it, 
that's the thing about music. It tells us so much about us and we will listen to certain music based upon our moods or try to get ourselves into a certain mood. And now Spotify knows all this. And now we promote what Spotify is collecting us right. because they, they wrapped it up in this thing called Spotify rap in this nice little package that makes you feel good about the fact that they're basically scraping all of your data off of your phone. It's off brilliant. Of your it's brilliant. Like, if, if you're like to the guy who thought about that at Spotify, I'd be like you, my friend are a brilliant man. Yeah. I, I, I hate you, but I still respect you. Okay. And here's the next question because I'm, I'm very interested in this whole thing about online privacy and uh, what we can do about it. And should we be doing something about it? Is there even any point in doing something about it? So a friend of mine who's a online privacy guy, he's a little bit, a little bit more worried than the average person. He told me about DuckDuckGo, the browser yes. DuckDuckGo. So I installed it and I'd start, if you're unfamiliar, DuckDuckGo is supposed to be a browser extension that uh, doesn't track what you're searching. Is that the right idea? Am I getting that right, Andy? Pretty much. It's not, it's not a vehicle for advertisers, essentially. Right. So I started using it, but the problem is it sucks for searching. Like yes. everything, all the responses that I get back, if I'm trying to look up, like today I was looking up a baseboard heater for the studio that I was talking about, and I typed it into DuckDuckGo, and I'm like, these results aren't what I'm looking for. So I just went from DuckDuckGo to Google and searched there. I'm like, I might, not, might as well not even have this thing. It's not helping me. This is the thing. Google is by far the best search engine out there. Uh, Microsoft really tried to get in it with Bing. They wanted to make Bing a big search. They even paid TV shows. Instead of for them to say, oh, let me just go Google it, they paid TV shows to say, go and Bing that. Like they were trying to make it I remember Ryan Seacrest saying that on American Idol. I totally remember exactly you saying that. So yes. like, is there anything you can do? Like the VPN thing, does that, does any of it make a difference or, or are we just fighting a losing battle with our privacy it, online? So, it is so hard. And the thing is, as long as you're not like a really big public official where if somebody, if you're like not Kim Kardashian or, or someone like that, where if the, you know, your privacy information, if they saw what your texts were and stuff that, you know, that would be a big deal. I don't think you really have to worry about it too much. There's more things in life like diabetes. I'd worry more about diabetes <laughs> and, and heart disease prevention than, than, um, you know, our, our anonymity online because it's okay. really hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the trade-off, right? Is that we give up our privacy in order to get the benefits of being online and having the world at our fingertips. Okay. One thing that people are worried about, uh, gaming consoles. I know a few people who actually, uh, have managed to get their hands on a PS5, but that is like, there's a huge shortage and people are really upset because they want to give it as a Christmas present and they can't. Well, that's the big thing is like this is typically the year where, you know, the kids would get a gaming console and there is a huge shortage and it started because of the chip shortage, but it's been accentuated by the fact that they're actually creating bots online that as soon as something like Walmart or Best Buy can carry it, a bot will come out and automatically buy it because they understand it's basic supply demand, Scott where you have all of this demand because of COVID, everyone's sitting at home, they want to play video games, they want to upgrade their console. But at the same time, because of this chip shortage, you know, these consoles have been out for a year and you still can't get them. But a tip for all the parents out there that are looking for it, if you do want to still try to get them, there are Facebook groups created by parents for other parents to help during the holidays. 
But um, it's going to be really, really tough. In the event, you might actually end up paying more because people who do get it will go on to Craigslist, Kijiji, right. Facebook Marketplace, and then try to sell it from there and make more money. So th- there is a supply out there. It's hard to find. And if you do find it, you're probably going to pay a little more than you wanted to. And uh, I want to ask you about uh, the problem that I'm having with my attic. But first, Andy, uh, you posted on our Facebook page how to fix a clogged drain. And it's literally like you are reading my mind because this is something that I go through in my household at least once a month, at least once a month. I have a wife who has a beautiful long head of hair and I love it and she's beautiful. And I'm going to reiterate that because I'm going to talk about how her hair clogs up the drain. And it's terrible. And she doesn't fix it, and I have to fix it. And I can talk about this because she's asleep right now. <laughs> but the way I do it is by putting Drano down there, and you're saying I'm not supposed to do that? Well, this is the thing, and this is why I made this, is because I've noticed that, and you're right, everybody has, at some point in time, a clogged drain. Of course. And it, and it just seems that everybody goes towards Drano right away. But it's not the best solution. In fact... Out of all the times that I've used Drano, I've never been like, wow, that just did the trick. That's all I needed. You know, right. it's, it's like more Drano or leave the Drano at night or something like that. It never works. All you need, folks, and, and frankly, a lot of people already have this tool in their house, is you need to use a plunger. You know, people think a plunger is only for the toilet, but it could actually work well for your drains. And the, the plungers that they have these days, they're so much better than the plungers that we had like in the 80s and right. 90s. Those little red ones, they had like the little red thing with the wooden. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the, the, cl- the classic cartoon plunger that we all know and love, of course. Yeah, so the new plungers, they actually have different rings to fit at different circumferences, like four inches, five inches, six okay. inches. So I actually put a link because I just... I spent some time doing plunger research uh-huh. to find <laughs> the best plunger that money could buy. And I found one for 25 bucks. There's a, uh, you, if you go to my website, handyandymedia.com, there's also a video. I posted the video on the Facebook page, which you can watch um, at the shiftheads.ca, or you can go to my website, handyandymedia.com. But I have this um, Airbnb suite, Scott. Okay. And you can imagine, you know, it just got people coming in. They don't care about my sinks as much as I do. You're right. So I have to fix this all the time. And so the other day I noticed that the kitchen sink, the the it was kind of plugged. So I grabbed my my camera out, grabbed my plunger, and I'm like, all right, how-to video. Here we go. And it worked. It took a couple of pumps and that's it. So you just fill it up with water and then you have to just pump the air. That works way better than Drano. In fact, if you go on YouTube, you could find videos of people explaining how the air pressure works in the drain to pull it out. And they, right. they'll, they'll kind of drain and show you like clearly how the pressure works. And I'm telling you, most out of most clogged drains, that's probably going to solve the problem. If that doesn't work, you could use Drano. You could use a snake. You could then empty the P-trap underneath your sink. Right. But for the most part, a plunger is all you need. If you start to see that getting clogged, Give it a couple of pumps. It might get a little dirty because things are going to come up. Yep. 
but that's how you clean it. And that's, it's just air pressure. I like the idea of starting simple with this stuff. Okay. We got a couple of minutes here and starting simple with the plunger, right? You know, before you go out and spend money on Drano and start maybe messing up your drains and stuff. So I went up into my attic to get down the Christmas decorations. And of course I was dreading what I was going to find up there because it's been pouring rain. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, is there going to be, you know, water dripping in and then I'm gonna have to deal with a new roof and all that type of stuff. No water dripping in, but I smelled it as soon as I got up there, Andy. I got mold. Mold Whoa. in the attic. And now I'm freaking out. My kids, are they breathing in mold? Is it dangerous? What do I have to do? Do I just burn the house down? What's the solution? Help. Come over okay, the first and thing, fix it for me. Okay, I'll try to fix this as fast as possible. First thing you got to do is make sure you get a good flashlight where you can go and inspect because you want to find out any kind of moldy type of wood up there. When you find it, there's a stuff you can buy called Kills. K-I-L-L-Z. I've heard of it. It's, it's a primer and it's specifically for mold. You can get it in both a paint can and a uh, spray can. So get yourself a bottle of Kills, walk up there, find that stuff, and then just spray it. Because like you said, you need that peace of mind to make sure that your kids aren't breathing this, this mold. Um, but if you can't really isolate it, or you just find different areas, that's the way you got to do it. Use kills. It'll at least let you sleep knowing that you've you've con- uh, at least contained that mold into that one area and prevented it from going out. It's a really interesting thing. When we were looking at houses, uh, every house that we looked at, we had a house inspector go up into the attic and they're like, yep, there's mold up there. But the way they put it to us was, look, this is the West Coast of Canada. It yeah. rains all the time. It's always raining. You just need to expect that you're going to have it. It's not an issue of uh, how to deal with it. It's like when you're going to deal with it, everybody is going to have to deal with it at some point. Yes. Drains and mold. Those are the things. Clogged drains and molds. Those are two absolute truths in life. It's like if you live on the West Coast, mold and taxes. Those are the things. So what would you do though, if you had mold, like in other parts of the house, is there, uh, you know, maybe there's a place that you couldn't paint over it with this kills that you're talking about. Well, you, you want to remove it. That's the first thing is you always want to get, uh, the mold removed. If you can't, that's when you put the kills primer and put a couple of coats on to give yourself that peace of mind. Um, but for the most part, you want to remove it. But when you're talking about in the attic, sometimes you just can't do it. So you just got to do what you can do so you can sleep well at night. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify and curious cast.ca. 